Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh15. We've got four hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet, weekly since 1994, and the semi-related spamprimer.com. I'm Leo Notenboom, the chief question answerer out at askleo.com. I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host, producer, and founder of macmost.com, where I post several tutorials every week for Apple users. And I also make mobile apps, uh, and you can find those at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am creator of freeprintable.net, which offers free printable documents and templates. I just looked on, on our homepage. It says how many we have. And how many? It, as of today, 44,999. <laughs> oh, no. You need one more. By well, the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, we probably sound a little bit different today because we've, we're doing something we have never done before. We're all sitting in the same room. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> and we uh, couldn't decide on which device to record, so we're recording on several different devices. We're a belt and suspenders and duct tape approach. <laughs> <laughs> so we will decide after we're done which one sounds the best, and we'll uh, put that one up on the website, and we'll yeah. see. And if you want to know, uh, that'll be in the, in the show notes at uh, tehpodcast.com, and if you want to know which one sounded best. It, it's strange that... This is actually seems harder. It should be easier. <laughs> but, you know, it's so easy to each have our own microphone, hook up to, we just use zoom.us as our recording thing, and, and we're off we go. But doing it here where their microphone's in the middle of the table actually well, makes it and, a little and more it's, difficult. It's worse because, you know, before we started, we had to turn off an appliance, and we had to make sure that the yes. air conditioning was, was turned off. And so it was it, definitely a little bit more hassle. We can't uh, mute when we want to take a drink or... Uh, or sneeze or something, sneeze or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I've, at some point I've got to open this uh, drink that's in front of me. Oh, you were supposed to do that before right. we started. There we go. Oh, there we, go. we can All use right. that as a sound test for <laughs> and, our recording. Cheers. And if you, and if you want <laughs> to know how geeky it is, all three of us... Well, no, okay, sorry. I'm okay, one of us has a Diet Pepsi and the other two have LaCroix water. No beer, no hard liquor, nothing. I What's up with that? Beer? Yeah, yeah, where after. is it? I've no, the alcohol's in the fridge. Oh, I'm drinking a LaCroix because right. I couldn't so find some beer. Point, so. <laughs> hey, so let's at least mention the various devices mm -hmm. we're running here. Okay. Um, we'll have links to them in the show notes, of yeah. course. Um, I brought with me a Tascam DR05. Um, it's not what, we, what I expect we'll end up using, but it's actually a fairly high-quality um, portable digital audio recorder. That's stereo. Its, that's its function in life, and it is stereo, so you'll hear Randy and me on one side of the table, and then Gary and Kevin over on the Except other. Except we'll mix it down to, to mono. Well, in that case, you won't hear the difference. Right. Um, and I also, because I just happen to carry one with me pretty much all the time, I've got Nerd. a little Olympus... VN fifty four one five four one PC. Again, it's a little digital audio voice note recorder thing that I usually have in my pocket because my memory sucks and I need digital devices to help me remember things. So, but actually, it's Kevin that brought the coolest device of all. So yeah, I just got a, a couple of weeks ago. Got a Shure MV eighty eight, which is a tiny little mic that plugs into my iPhone uh, and it plugs into the 
thunderbolt the lightning lightning like one of those one of those thunderbolt lightning it plugs into the lightning port of course the iphone has a built-in uh microphone which is fine i guess but this one isn't more than fine this one is really good um if you are one of the things i like about it if you're recording something in front of you you can put it into into stereo mode and you can like change the the width of the the stereo uh, width of what it's listening to and uh uh that's kind of cool but right now i'm using it in monocartoid mode which uh basically has carotid i think it's one of those words i read but don't it's like your artery carotid carotid i believe that's correct i thought it was cardioid that was cardio. Maybe it's cardio. I don't know. <laughs> the thing has the thing has three microphones in it, uh, and right now we're using the two on the side to record one side of the table and the other. Okay, very cool. That's that's what I know. And somebody will put a comment on the uh, on the show page to say this is how you pronounce. Actually, it. there will be two comments, and they will disagree with one <laughs> <laughs> or four, and they'll all disagree with each other. So, let's get to real stuff. Randy, I think you've got, uh, what, net neutrality up first? Well, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, the FCC made their decision on net neutrality. It's pretty much a partisan political decision. No matter what you think of net neutrality, pro or con, I think it's really interesting that there's grassroots fighting back. So, not only are a bunch of Internet companies fighting back, for instance, I had it written down here. Uh, now we've lost it. Uh, Foursquare, Etsy, Expo, Shutterstock, Kickstarter, Automatic, the p- folks behind WordPress, Mozilla, Vimeo, and 23 different state attorney generals are filing suit against the FCC. Attorneys general. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're attorneys and they general. <laughs> filing suit to basically enforce it at least in their own territories, if not nationally. So I think it's just interesting that the FCC doesn't necessarily have final say on this. It's also interesting that, at least in Washington state, I think we were one of the first states to do it, we went beyond, the Attorney General did more than just file suit. The state legislature actually passed the moral equivalent of a net neutrality bill for Washington state. So whatever, you th- whatever net neutrality is, which is a discussion for a different day, um, it's the case. You can't, you know, that's, that's the law in Washington right now, which kind of makes it interesting for some of the more national right. ISPs and, and vendors. Because well, most of them are national. In, in order to comply with Washington and whatever other states are doing the same, because I know Washington, I mean, Washington isn't the only state that's doing this, um, they're going to have to follow these rules for one state, so why not all fifty? It'll make them look bad to you know. If, they, if it was all the states allowed, you know, them to break net neutrality, they could just say, "Well, we're doing this because it's easier for us." And but now, if they have to just for one state comply, yeah, then they they look like a bunch of jerks for doing it differently. Isn't this states. something that happened with cars, like in the seventies and eighties, where the the Cars could put out all sorts of emissions that were nasty. And then California put in rules saying, like, look, you have to follow these guidelines. And California sells so many cars that all the auto manufacturers started doing California emissions. But they didn't. No? They didn't. In fact, uh, when that happened, cars in California were different than the rest. Cars that were sold in California were Mm -hmm. physically different than cars sold in the rest of the country Mm -hmm. for a period of time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was very interesting. You could, I mean, I remember buying a car and looking at the things. If you've got the California version of this car, it's got these characteristics. Mm -hmm. And if it's anywhere else, it's got these characteristics. So uh, I suspect if it were more states than California, like especially more populous ones, yeah. then probably that would have happened the way we're hoping that neutrality turns out. Yeah. But it's also a lot easier to deliver cars to a specific area than it is to deliver bits <laughs> to a specific area. That's right. So I, it's interesting to see what will happen, what's going to shake out as surely a lot of these things are going to be appealed and go up to higher courts. Of course. And at some point, it's going to shake out on one side or the other. Either the FCC is going to be given total jurisdiction or something else is going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully it's all for good, whatever turns out, whatever comes out of it. Absolutely. So, so Gary, you spotted something that I thought, oh, actually it was Kevin, mm -hmm. that was right up my alley. I, I noticed this too. Stealth satellites. Mm -hmm. Saw an interesting story at uh, TechCrunch. Says uh, the FCC uh, denied a space startup permission to launch some communication satellites after discovering that it had already launched some after being told not to. <laughs> uh, a company called Swarm Technologies uh, has gone ahead it went and deployed four satellites. Um, and, and the FCC, somebody said they're too small to be tracked, and therefore these satellites are unsafe to be put into orbit. Because they could collide with other satellites that are like this. So right. Swarm, Swarm is doing this this big constellation of, at least they want to, of s small satellites in low Earth orbit that will provide broadband internet anywhere on the planet. SpaceX has a similar one, and there's some other various uh, uh, competitors in this market. And I just dispute this whole idea that they can't track it. Maybe they can't track it really accurately and know exactly where it's going to go and maybe imperil other satellites, but I know that they can track things as small as a dime, at least in general. And why do they need to track that? Because there's lots of debris right. from uh, satellites that have exploded. You know, I've, I've heard that you know astronauts accidentally drop a, 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 a screwdriver, a screwdriver yeah. and it floats away, and they track it. I mean, yeah. they... Is it really dropping if it floats away? Uh, <laughs> what's what's the better word? <laughs> Letting go. It, 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 it floats away. Losing, the bottom yeah. line. They, they float a screwdriver. <laughs> well, and, and if these are communication satellites anyway, well, they could track it because the satellite itself <laughs> is saying, I'm here. Yeah, here I am. Is where Actually, I am. is that how that we don't know that that's how they work? I mean, clearly these things are small. Which yeah, are, they're which, the size of a, of a hardcover book, is what I read. Which, to me, is fascinating all by itself. Yeah. That is enough to be a communication satellite these days. But what I don't know is if these are satellites that are actually active, transmitting, or are they simply reflecting? Because it, mm -hmm. they could act passively. It just reflects. They're low enough, right? Yeah. Well, low Earth orbit, so that's what, between two and 500 miles or something I, like I, that? I believe that they're in the 95 to 125 range. Oh, even lower then. Great. So basically, to reflect a signal, you're only talking a couple hundred miles round trip, which conceivably could be doable. So it's possible that they're not transmitting. But if they're book size, they're big enough to be found. Yes. That, that I agree with you. That's but the bottom line is... You're they calling were, BS on, on the 
Same Unt- on the untrackable on thing. Untrackable yeah. On the untrackable. Yeah. But the bottom line is you you need licenses to launch anything. You need licenses to float satellites. And they, you know, they lived up to their name, Stealth Technologies. Or, well, actually, Swarm Technologies. Okay, oh, they bummer. didn't leave up to their name. Yeah. But they, they launched these things without license, without permission. And uh, frankly, they should be slapped pretty hard. I like it, though. I like it because oh, I like the whole concept. It, it yeah. shows that we're we're go, getting further along with space technology. If rules like this are starting to be broken, yeah, yeah. because that means there's enough companies doing enough things. Yeah. There's enough launches. It's, 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 it's the new it's the new space race. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not just <laughs> governments anymore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's mostly it doesn't seems like it's mostly not governments anymore. Yeah. And and gosh, are they a lot cheaper when there's a profit motive involved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's competition. I mean, yeah, yeah. competition, Lots of competition. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, there's, I mean, there's launches happening at a good pace. I, I, I don't know, Randy. Do you track like, I mean, how many launches there are per month, as compared to say ten years ago and twenty years ago and thirty years I ago? I haven't have any looked idea? at that, but it's certainly picked it's up. Seen, I mean, SpaceX alone has done fifty launches of their Falcon, which is just I know amazing. And they're planning on. I was hearing it's going to be two or three in, inside of one week coming up. Yeah, just yeah. you know a new. And they're, and they're not the only company, and we're not the only country yeah. doing it. I mean, you know, China's launching things, India's launching things. Um, we're launching from both coasts now. You know, we're doing European Space Agency, yeah, ESA's yeah. doing launches. So, uh, so, but on the that, that's all wonderful news in terms of you know the progress of what's happening. But aren't we throwing even more stuff into Earth orbit that's likely to run into one another? Ah, it's big. It's big out there. Sooner, the surface of a space is big. Space sooner, is really big. sooner, there's a lot of space up there. A lot of space. Sooner or later, something's going to hit something else, and well, somebody will be unhappy about it. Yeah. Um, it'll just it'll be interesting to hear when that happens. Your mention of SpaceX reminds me of the headline I was telling you about earlier this afternoon. There's a headline I ran across that said that um, uh, let's see, SpaceX was. Planning on launching uh, their BFR, I think it is their big rocket, the one that they plan to use big freaking rocket <laughs> to use for the Mars missions. And the headline actually said that they were going to launch it and perform a uh, round trip or launch it to Mars in 2019. Yeah, which is not what the news actually is. The headline in that article got it absolutely wrong. This goes back to one of the. The themes of some of the some of the things we've talked about here, where the um, uh, the, the news media, the headline, the clickbait writers, just get it wrong. Um, the fact is, there is hope. Musk did say that he hopes that they will be able to have a test launch or two of the BFR next year. It doesn't mean they're it going to Mars. Doesn't mean it's going to Mars. It just means it's going up, or maybe out, depending on the success of yeah. the. <laughs> we, we hope it. We hope it goes up in, in all directions. Explode, yes. um, and Musk also, for uncharacteristically, allowed us how some of the predictions of dates that may have been mentioned in the past have by been, Elon Musk himself have been somewhat <laughs> optimistic. So, to say the least. To say the least. But, um, but yeah, that also is an interesting aspect of, of the stuff we're throwing into the, into the sky. Mm. I'm really amped to hear about this next one. Oh, <laughs> oh that hurts. Worst, <laughs> worst segue ever. ever. <laughs> so the um, AMP 
for those of you that don't know what it is, AMP is a, an encoding technology that Google is promoting. Accelerated it, mobile pages. And the idea is that uh, when you are viewing a website on a mobile device, you don't need all of the information that comes from, say, a page that's been architected for a regular computer desktop. The page should be smaller and lighter and travel quicker and render more quickly on your smaller screen. In and of itself, that sounds great. Uh, one of the problems that I've had with it personally in the past is that uh, it, sh it had occasionally been showing up in search results on the desktop when it's not supposed to. And the big issue that a lot of um, uh, publishers have, website publishers have with AMP is that Google is not required to serve it from your website. So what that means is that if you click on a search result in Google search that leads to an AMP page, say on Ask Leo, I'll just use that as an example, I may never find out about it. You may see the page, but it'll be coming from Google's server, and that means that I don't have the opportunity to see that you're visiting my page, that, I, that, that people have seen this page or are doing something with it. Or see how popular various articles are. Or, or and this is a, a fact for, for advertising-driven sites, have the opportunity to serve an ad from that page. So it's at least been controversial so far. What Google is now suggesting or proposing, which given the size of the organization is probably a little bit more than a proposal, um, is that they start serving regular desktop pages using this AMP technology. They want to basically re-architect the fundamental technology that delivers web pages to your machine to, co to adhere to this AMP standard or something very much like it. All in the name of speed and efficiency. Again, great, great ideals. The problem, of course, is will we still have this caching problem? And, oh, by the way, Google seems to be engineering what the, how the web should work. Is that something we really want a single company to be able to do simply because they're so darned big? Don't we have an open standards process for that? That Google seems to be using its size to simply sidestep. I, I, I was very resistant to the whole AMP page thing, and I stayed away from it until January. I actually had a day where I implemented AMP mm -hmm. at MacBose.com, and, uh, and then you know, I was just looking at, you know, Google has indexed it and everything like that, and I have actually tested it out on my iPhone, and it comes up with the AMP page if you do a search. Uh, but I have no evidence that it's actually helped Mac mode. Like it, I haven't gotten any more mobile traffic right. due to it. And uh, and I don't know. Uh, after reading about it and saying, oh, I like you know that they want to optimize mobile delivery of web pages. And then here's the standard. It's filled with a bunch of junk. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of JavaScript and and CSS and everything that comes with it. That I was like, oh, but the pages look really basic. I could code this page in way, less, you know, way fewer characters than what they're throwing at it. Right. It just seems seems to me like what does Google get out of it? They get all more data, which that's what they like mm -hmm. information about who goes where and what sites are visited and what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's all just more more information for Google. I. I don't think it's on its on its own. It's not a bad idea, but I really wish they would go through 
whatever normal processes there are of for creating standards and and rather than just railroading it essentially essentially imposing it of course they're not imposing it because they are going to submit their standard to the the IETF I think yeah. the internet engineering task force but um, uh, because they're so big I mean if somebody says no we don't like this they could just do it anyway yeah and the real issue is that you know, I also, like you, earlier this year, I turned AMP back on on my site. Not because it was going to be a better experience for my users, because my, page are, my pages are already mobile-friendly. They get served up. They're cached. They come off a content delivery network. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's already a good experience for my users. The reason I did it, Google scares me. Yeah, yeah. I get so much of my initial contact traffic through Google that you kind of sort of want to do the things that you think maybe might kind of sort of make Google happy. You want to appease the gods. You want to appease the gods. And that's frustrating, at least. And scary. Yeah. That's scary. Another problem with AMP is that it's once again dividing the mobile web from the desktop web because the pages are different. They might just look different in some cases. They might be different. In my case, they are a little different because the comment section isn't there on the AMP page. You have to click on the link to go to the real page to see it. Interesting. But, you know, that's how mobile started. I had some mobile devices, you know, pre-smartphone that actually served up some websites but not others in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And then there was like a whole mobile standard for like that, you know, they were going to have little smartphones that would only serve up certain mobile standard web pages. It wouldn't serve up normal HTML web pages. And, you know, fortunately we got away from that. You know, Steve Jobs put the launch of the iPhone and declared that it's going to be a normal web browser on the iPhone. And that was a big deal, that it would just display normal HTML. And then everybody, you know, Android went with that. And, you know, but AMP is kind of a step backwards, saying, okay, now all websites should have two versions, an AMP version and a... But now what Google is essentially kind of saying, I guess, is that, no, we're trying to bring that back. Trying to bring it, right? We're trying, trying to bring it back into a single... <laughs> It's just our standard our, instead of the pre-existing yeah. standard. Yeah. Now we that want you, to do now, it the Google way. Now that you know, we know you guys will all bow to whatever we say, <laughs> we're going to get everything. Right, right. And all this presupposes that mobile devices are becoming the way of getting online. And interestingly, I just did a survey of my paid newsletter s- subscribers. And, you know, this doesn't necessarily mirror the Internet as a whole. But I asked them, one of the questions I asked, and and more than 25% of my paid readers actually answered the survey, which is phenomenal. But I asked them, how do you read these email newsletters? Two-thirds said on a computer. Uh, Only 18% said on a phone. 12% on a tablet and the rest on something else, like they print it and read it off paper. So... It's pretty amazing that computers are actually still used a lot. Isn't necessarily all going to phones and tablets. Yeah, I'm kind of looking up that information for Ask Leo while you're speaking. Um, So the breakdown for Ask Leo right now uh, for the last month. And these are pretty fairly techie type people. Yeah. Tech enthusiasts, if you will. Um, Is uh, we're... Two-thirds desktop still, uh, and about a third mobile and tablet. Uh, so it actually mirrors what I found, two-thirds computer. Yeah. Yep. Wow, I'm almost yep. exactly the same. Yep. 
ratio. Um, it had been increasing. I was expecting it to be higher, actually, looking at it here, because well, that's one of the reasons. You talk a lot about Windows, which is a desktop operating system. I that's talk still- primarily about Macintosh, which is a desktop operating right. system. Right. So, actually, the fact that one-third <laughs> are mobile. Are mobile. It's kind of odd. Yeah, yeah. yeah is yeah. it's probably telling that. Yeah. Uh, Although we also both talk a lot about more general yeah. topics, like internet safety, mm-hmm. which is cross-platform. Right. But, but yeah, it's, it is interesting that you know, we're still two-thirds a desktop nation, so it's, it's just interesting stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, Gary, yeah. we had a burger for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it made by a robot? Uh, no, that, to the best of my knowledge, yes, it was it, not. It almost certainly was not. <laughs> they like, appeared to be only human. One. They appeared to be human. There's yes. only one, and it's, and it's out of order at the moment. Uh, <laughs> or or is it on strike? It's I on think it strike got fired. Got fired. No. Okay. So so I find this a, a fascinating story. You know, in the world of robotics. So Cali Burger, uh, it, which uh, is a burger place in uh, Pasadena, California, they uh, they introduced a, a hamburger grilling robot, which is basically just an arm that can grasp a um, spatula. spatula and flip burgers and stuff. And, uh, you know, it seems like a good idea because it's fairly, you know, it's just, you know, has cameras on it, like an infrared camera and a visual camera to be able to look at the burger. It actually switches between spatulas for burgers that are still mostly raw meat and ones that are mm. mostly cooked. So it's, you know, properly done. Um, and it flips them and, and grills them and all that. And the idea is, of course, um, to, you know, automate that part of the fast food process. Uh, and it, it worked, but it... It didn't work that well. One of one of the problems they had. It's, was it's a, early yet. It was kind of a, a victim of its own success because people were coming to actually see it in action. So it basically got overworked, and it only does the grilling portion. A human still has to put the patty on the grill and put the cheese on it. Give it time. Yeah. Give it time. So there was a whole chain that is the normal fast food chain of like events to to make the burger. But and the, and the robot only did part of it. Well, getting the timing down for the humans on either end of the process to be able to handle what the the robot was producing, it didn't actually save any time, and and they they let it run for like a day or two or something like that, and then they took was it that off. all? Yeah, I thought it was less than that. And they and they're they're recalibrating. They're going to try to figure <laughs> it out. They said that one of the problems was there's a normal communication that takes place between you know the people that are grilling the the burgers. And the people that are doing the steps before and the steps after, people talk and there's visual cues and everybody sees what's going on and the process goes smoothly. And this robot just went around just making grilling the, the burgers and did more burgers, more burgers, yeah. make more burgers. <laughs> well, burgers, it, was, burgers. it was sometimes too fast, sometimes you too made slow. More meat. <laughs> it didn't it didn't quite, you know, work well in the system. So they there's sounds like they might have some actually some retraining to do. But I, I, it's a fascinating story for a number of reasons because uh, First, it, it digs into the whole like economics of, of robotics and everything with the idea that we've got really low unemployment now in the United States. And one of the problems with fast food workers, you know, the, or not the workers, the jobs, is they're minimum wage jobs. And they're having trouble nationwide filling these jobs. There's help wanted signs everywhere. There's very low employment. And, and, and the people that do have those jobs want more they, wages. They, they want more money. And people that are still unemployed don't you know if they've got college educations and skills and like their career they don't want to go and work these jobs because number one they pay too too little so 
the solution might be to pay more. But then if you pay more, then burgers and fast food are going to cost more. And so then you have less people going. So you would have less demand. And that's it, a whole thing that, you know, it would be a problem for all these fast food places. So solution is, okay, if nobody wants to work the minimum wage jobs, you know, grilling burgers, let's get a robot to do it. And, um, and that's, you know, it's kind of an, an interesting thing. I mean, I, I think it's going to happen. I don't know if the idea of an actual arm, something that simulates a human arm with a spatula, flipping the burgers and looking at it when the camera is the right way to go. It may be a, kind of a burger machine. Exactly. Yeah. If you were going to automate not just this piece of the process, yeah. but the entire process, yeah. it would probably look dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why not? I mean, it seems like you need to reinvent the process. Of, right. Yeah, raw materials coming in in various angles. Right. You, got, you got cows coming in on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> Wheat coming in on another one. And, yeah. and a pig for the bacon. <laughs> I was in, in, in Las Vegas uh, a couple of months ago, and we were in a mall going shoe shopping, and they had in there a, a bar with a robot bartender. And I didn't go in, uh, but you, everyone was just like hanging out, like watching this thing because it was novel. And I think that's part of it mm-hmm. for now. When people are going to go look at the, the burger robot or the bartender robot, but it was really cool. I mean, this giant arm, and it was kind of surrounded by all the different bottles of liquor. And someone would order something, it was a boop, 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 you know, and pour exactly the right amounts, and you know, and uh, it was that's, kind of, that's kind the of, problem right the, there. There's yeah, your problem because right people there. want that extra yeah. little heavy yeah. pour. I mean, how, how do you like? If I want three fingers, you don't have any fingers. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> and it well, doesn't respond to tipping at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not a problem. So, you know, in Canada, they've got its strict measurements for yeah. all, you know, so right. so th- they would fit better with that. I was just looking, so th- the goal here is, of course, it is a bit of a novelty now, but this company, they want to sell this robot called Flippy. They want to sell it for $60,000. I mean, they want to mass produce it and sell it to fast food chains all over the country and you know, really dominate this, take take over this part of the industry. So that's Once they probably a couple of years worth of salary. Yes, well, know? I mean, it would pay for itself. They talk about paying fifteen dollars an hour, thirty thousand dollars. But if you run it, if you have a twenty-four hour burger joint, you can make that back pretty fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And they talk about how it does cost a lot. This is the article that uh, the you know the story is from the Washington Post. And we'll they link talk to about, it in the show uh, page. Yeah. There's uh, you know the, co- the not just the cost of. You know, salaries of the, the people that do the job, but then they're training, mm-hmm. and then there's high turnover in minimum wage jobs, which means it's not like you train somebody and then they, for 10 years they, they flip burgers. Right. It's you probably have to continuously train new people to come every to three burgers. to six months, probably. And it actually costs money, you know, to train uh, sure. people to do that, that type of job. I mean, this is, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, it's grilling burgers, how hard can it be? This is, you know, pe- people are putting this in their bodies. It's food, there's health standards, mm-hmm. there's, you know, Things that need to be done. Well, so, and, and as you pointed a, out, there's like communication issues. Yes. There's pieces of this job that you have to work with other people in the room in a particularly coordinated way in order yeah. for the for everything to work smoothly and come out yeah. speedily, and, and so not have so much come out at once that they have to throw some of the right. food away because right. that's really expensive. Right. So there's, a, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm sure, and you know, working those jobs, I'm sure is, it's tough. It's not, you know, especially if you're at a busy restaurant and you're going through dinner or lunch. Right. And don't worry, Kevin, they'll do this with veggie burgers, too. I I had my first, uh, what was it called, Impossible Burger tonight, which is a vegetarian burger, which is made to be uh, as as much like a meaty burger as possible. I enjoyed it very much, and the meat eaters at the table ate it, and you you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, I tasted it, and it was surprisingly meat-like. It was a little salty, but um, very flavorful, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I would... 
I would actually eat one as opposed yeah. to avoiding most veggie burgers. But yeah, it was, it was good. I want to so. try. So the question is, will the robot flipper flip out? I, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure with the calibration on that. <laughs> Part of the problem with a lot of veggie burgers is they look like they're already done before they're even, you know. Yeah, while they're right, still right. frozen. They're, yeah, yeah. Right. and because they have the color and the texture. So one thing I did notice say, was that the texture was actually different. It was cr- more crumbly than an actual hamburger mm. would have been. But so. it was red on the inside, which is very interesting. It yeah. looked like yeah. real meat. Yeah. Yeah, Which just, I don't, may be a negative for you. I don't know. Uh, that doesn't, you know, as long as it's not actually really real meat, I, I don't care. I so. suspect it was all, you know, chemical additives to make it look yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, probably, you know, flavored gelatin just to, uh, <laughs> just, just, just to look right. Well, I mean, this is probably a topic for uh, another time, but, you know, the idea of artificially grown meat protein, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. lab grown meat protein, yeah. and what does it mean if you're, you know, a vegetarian and if, the reasons for being a vegetarian is, you know, you know, not cruel, you know, don't eat something with a face and you know, cruelty to animals and all that. But if it's lab-grown meat, but actually, it never had a face. It never had it. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was so. It's almost like plant-grown, but it's right. it's meat. Yeah, I mean, so if, then, if you're you, vegetarian you for, for health reasons, for health reasons. It's still meat's going to be meat. Well, well, not right. necessarily because uh, it, it they maybe. can make it where it's like ninety-nine plus percent sure. fat-free okay. and doesn't have I, a lot of the whatever. bad things. I'm an ethical vegetarian, and I have been for, yeah. well, I, I am, I'm a vegetarian because this really cute girl said she would only, you know, date someone who was a vegetarian. And, and how long have you been married? Yeah, yeah 25 years. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we are ethical vegetarians, and yeah, I, I think I would probably eat meat that came from a, a test tube if it was never alive, really, you mm-hmm. know, or it was alive one cow one time years ago that they keep cloning or whatever they do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it works. But, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change things it, it, for people. Yeah, it's going to be a big question. There's right. going to be, uh, people are going to have to make it. There's going to be a whole new classification for, like, I'm a vegetarian, but yeah. I will eat non-animal meat. Right. Yeah. Well, this topic certainly took a direction. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, hey, it fits in with the tech enthusiast yeah. thing. I I, 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 absolutely, yeah. That's I think a, it fits. Yeah. Yeah. I only eat... eat you know, vegetarian burgers that were made by a robot so that humans weren't harmed in, at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because, because some percentage of cooks get burned on that grill. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so very like, sad. Accidentally chop off their finger. And, oh, and, some of that too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Let's not gross out the audience. Come on. Yeah. Let's move on to something. Well, I guess it's just as gross. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Oh, that's gross. I, I, have, uh, I personally have destroyed Facebook. Um, I, I discovered that I was addicted to Facebook, and huh. it took me several weeks to break myself of the habit. And interestingly, Fast Company says chances are you, as in everybody in the world, is spending 24% less time on Facebook. And this was so apparently, yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> and I agree, I think it's wonderful. But. The statistics that uh, end December 31st apparently show that Facebook's core platform lost 18% in time spent by their billion or whatever it is audience, uh, which is a huge, huge change from even November. And certainly my time on Facebook is... Has uh, face, face, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Hold on, I'm going. I'm registering your domain. Facebook. Somebody at JPL already owns it. You, sure, yeah. you heard it here first. That's going to be the next big yeah. social media platform. Yeah. That um, 
I'm, I'm definitely spending much less than that. Uh, my time isn't down 24%. It's more like 84%. And I think it's a great trend. I think Facebook is eating the world. It's certainly um, destroying people's focus and concentration. And Leo, you have something well, to say. Well, my, my question. Saying? Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was checking mine. Get off, yeah. your, get off your phone. I was, I was looking at Twitter. Um, the... <laughs> The question I had when I, when I saw the headline, I didn't dive deep into the article, so you can tell me if and I... And it's a very short article. Um, <laughs> my attention span, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, is I wonder how much of the decline is not necessarily across the board people spending less time, but a particular demographic spending less time. And I mean that specifically, Facebook has always been... Um, uh, we've always heard that Facebook is not appealing to a younger demographic, and I'm wondering if that lack of appeal is increasing. So the decrease is because the older Facebook users are dying off. <laughs> no, no, it's more that the younger Facebook users are off on something else. Instagram. So the accounts are all still Instagram, there, Instagram, Twitter. and, and they, they use it once in a while to talk to their grandparents, right? right? To, right. to see the pictures that their grandparents have posted totally or something. Um, I'm just wondering if that might be... I'm, I'm sure that's part of it, and I also, it. I also think probably it's due to... Um, Zuckerberg said that he was concerned about some of the use, and that one executive that helped design it was ragging on it a few months ago. Right. And sure, all these different factors and, and Facebook said, hey, we can expect a dive in revenue because we're going to change the news feed, which is going to reduce the ad exposure, which is going to reduce the income, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there's a lot of factors involved here. Um, but I think the bottom line is we're going to be healthier by not spending so damn much time on Facebook. But if uh, like, Kind of like what you were saying, Leo, is like, what's the overall social media consumption? Because it might be down at Facebook, but then if Snapchat and Snapchat, Twitter yeah. and Instagram and others are picking up the slack. Right. Well, I mean, Snapchat is having its own problems due to its redesign, which now I'm not a Snapchat <laughs> user, so I don't know exactly what's so horrific about the redesign. But I do know, I've been reading several articles, that a lot of Snapchat users are really upset with whatever that redesign entailed. Well, same with Twitter. People were upset that they went from a just strictly chronological order to things that they think you're going to be more interested An in. algorithmic order. Yep. Which right. puts you know, more ads in, into your face and all that. So, And there was another social media thing that came up just a couple of weeks ago that uh, a couple of influencers indicated that they were going to be on, I forget what it was called, Muvo or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I think um, Hardwick, Chris Hardwick said he was going to be on there and a couple of other people. And then a couple of days after this wave of information about this new social media site that was not going to be algorithmic, it was going to be you know, chronological yeah, and all that kind of stuff. They all say that at first. But. They all say that at first. And then there was this whole rift about, well, but there's privacy issues in the background. You know, they're, they're, yeah. doing, they're doing something you know, sneaky and underhanded in the background. So... The landscape is a mess right now, too. Good. 
Well, yes and no, because let's face it, there, for as much as we like to rag on Facebook for there are certainly sucking positives. our time or, or, or just you know, not showing us what we think it should show us, it is in a lot of ways bringing people together. People yep. are connecting in ways mm-hmm. that That's they true. otherwise would not connect. And I hate to see that get thrown out. I hate to see that get, get thrown out with a you know, baby with a bathwater kind of a scenario. I don't think. Well, I think don't think social media is getting thrown out. Social media is here to stay. I think it might be part of the regular rise and fall of sites that happen. I mean, none of us are using MySpace anymore. Facebook came, and maybe you know one day Facebook's going to go away. We're going to move on to Facebook or whatever. <laughs> I'm over the moon uh, for that idea. Um, like, you know. Luckily, we record, so I can <laughs> register that before the, the, um, the episode comes yeah. out. Um, you know, we're not using Alta Vista anymore because Google came. And I am. It, yeah. <laughs> Damn it! Take it with it. <laughs> Hot bot all the way. You're the you're their last customer. <laughs> so maybe it's just part of that. Ooh, it's a loud one. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, I, I think it's all evolving. I mean, maybe the drop is just simply because you know Facebook it, sucks. It, it's I don't know, or just a quiet. I mean, it's a kind of quieter period I don't know maybe yeah. there's lots of people have burned reasons. out yeah. uh, with yeah. the last well, US prob- presidential election there's probably election many, many reasons yeah. everything yeah. from yeah. You, know, effect. Yeah. you know people there, getting upset by fake news or being scared by the, the proposed algorithm change that's going to make the, you know, the feed less, infer- less useful I don't know mm. and spacebook.com is registered it's being squatted of course it is uh, because it's spacebook <laughs> so speaking of squatting so one of the things that happened... Yeah, this could go a lot of ways. <laughs> but we're in the same room, so you can see what I'm doing. It's not like yeah. I'm doing something, you know... Oh, I've got the notes in front of me. I know, I know where we're going. Yeah, like, like you usually take your portable microphone into the bathroom when we're recording. Yeah, well, I, here I have to wear pants. Come on. Yeah, you darn right you do. <laughs> for the record, wrong. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Um, so there was a, a, a distributed denial of service attack uh, earlier this DDoS. Yeah, DDoS. Uh, earlier, I think it was last week now, that um, was, again, the largest ever recorded. Uh, a 1.3 terabit per second uh, wow. attack against GitHub. Now, GitHub is a, is a particularly geeky site to attack, and I'm not sure why it was attacked. But it is the site on which a lot of open source projects maintain their open source. If you um, download an open source project or a, if you want to work on an open source project, chances are you would get the source code from there. But many of them actually also distribute their binaries or their installers on GitHub as well. So it's very possible that the average consumer has, in fact, at least run into GitHub once or twice. Now, what's interesting about it is that the... Um, the, the, behind the, the attack was apparently a vulnerability, of course, in a certain type of database server that uh, is called a memcached server, which is designed to be run out of memory instead of having to hit the disk all the time. What that allows for is for a database operation to be significantly faster than normal. Turns out it also allows for an attack to be specifically faster than normal and therefore can be scaled up fairly dramatically. Uh, What I didn't realize until I was just reading the article here, and this is in um, arstechnica.com, and once again we'll have the link in the show notes, um, there was yet another uh, uh, attack 
this time a 1.7 terabits per second uh, DDoS attack against, uh, let's see, the attack targeted an unnamed customer of a U.S.-based service provider. So they're not providing any names and they're not telling who the ISP was. The interesting thing to me is that we're finding out all about this after the fact. In other words, these massive denial-of-service attacks didn't cause any trouble. Nobody noticed them. Nobody noticed them. Which which is is, really interesting. Which is, A, really interesting, and B, actually pretty darn awesome, considering everything that could possibly go wrong trying to mitigate such an attack. Because because it used to be that when something like this was in, in progress, it would take down... Big chunks of the internet, mm-hmm. not only the sites that were being targeted. Right. That we would just see really big slowdowns for you know hundreds of websites, and that's not happening. Or anymore. at least a targeted site, yeah, would be gone. And so it was. Just, it I just find that really, really interesting. I mean, we're still in a case. I mean, it used to be that it was enough to take down a site to just mention it in a popular blog. You remember what slash dotting became a verb, right? And a site would go down just because too many people were trying to look at it at the same time. This is the same effect, except multiplied, you know, a couple million times. Um, And we're surviving it. Uh, And Ars Technica says that this is imperiling the stability of the Internet, which I suppose if we get a lot of these happening a lot of the time, that that would really happen. But in the meantime, we're not really seeing that. Yeah, and it's again, it's a, it's another, a, another example of okay. Well, this didn't work. We've discovered some vulnerabilities, like these memcache servers need to be secured. That would be a good start. Um, but I'm sure that the security people and the um, the internet routing people, the folks that actually do mitigation services for uh, DDoS attacks, they're learning a lot about how to more effectively mitigate these attacks as we go along. So, And as it turns out, many of these attacks um, are a glorified version of ransomware. It's mm-hmm. a case of, yeah, we're going to take down your site unless you pay us money. Um, so there's the financial motive. This isn't just script kiddies anymore playing around for fun. This is people trying to make money this way. This is organized crime. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably from overseas. But yeah, ransomware is a real... A real problem, and that seems to be happening more and more often. So, what have you guys been working on, reading, doing lately? What's what's fun? Well, I've got a new game app out this week. Another one? Yeah. Well, you know. Well, you know, sometimes they seem to come really fast. It's because you do lots of testing sometimes with an app. And, of course, while there's testing going on, there's I'm working on the next game. So, uh, have, have you guys ever heard of nonograms? I know you have now, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> because of you. Well, yeah, because... Was he one of your testers? So, no, no, he, <laughs> he, got, he, he was, uh, we were chatting about it. But the, uh, so it's a, like a puzzle game, kind of like Sudoku, that I got myself addicted to, because I was, I, I'm always, uh, I have a, like a library of game books, you know, old game books, new game books, all this. I'm always doing research and looking at different types of games people have played over the years and what they play now. And there's a, there's a class of games called nonograms, which are basically these little fill-in-the-blocks games using numbers. So it's kind of almost like code-breaking or code-solving. Did you, come up did with you get nonogram.com? No, no. no. <laughs> so this is an app. You know, I'm doing mostly apps now, not, not the websites anymore. And, uh, and actually, most people... 
very few people know what nonograms are, even though that's what the Wikipedia page is. There's a game called Picross that is uh, a Nintendo game that most people know about this. Huh. You know, they, they played that. So anyway, I got addicted to it, and of course when I get addicted to a game, I immediately want to make a better version of what sure. I'm playing. <laughs> so I made one, and I, as a new app I, I just released. And it's kind of fun. It's geeky, more geeky than what And this isn't one that you did on Android as well, is it? Not yet. If it does well, I'll do it on Android. <laughs> uh, what you didn't Android. see was me raising my hand. I'm an Android guy. so Yeah, no, any, any game that does pretty well, and I think has a, you know, is worth continuing to develop a port to Android. Yeah. Everything. So that's what I've been working. I've been working on for the last few weeks is making this game. And I wasn't signaling to you to, to talk softer, yeah. just not hit the table oh, because, yeah. of, <laughs> because of the microphones that are on it. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, so it's been that's been fun and and uh, putting that together and, and and it's a lot of geeky stuff in there because there's a lot of algorithms and things I had to figure out. I'm using Perlin noise generators to create the puzzles and. And to get random noise, to get or, to get random, generate random noise to make the picture. So a lot of these uh, use pictures. So um, and the idea is you solve the puzzle and you get this cool picture. So it's a bunch of black and white pixels. But in order to do that, you need an artist that understands how the puzzle works, and they have to draw a bitmap pic- picture in such a way that it's a good puzzle and it reveals a picture. Interesting. Which makes makes a very limited number of puzzles you can have. So some of these. You know that you can download other apps. They have like maybe fifty or a hundred or four hundred that you can you can get. And I wanted more than that, so I decided to forget about the picture thing and just have these random noise generated things. And and I used myself as a tester to see is that as much fun? Is it as much fun to play something if you don't get like a smiley face at the end? And it turns out for me at least it was. It still was fun and challenging. Can, can I can I add my what I yeah, tried yeah. to throw? I, yeah. I don't know if my idea was a good idea, but this this was my idea. that's still up for debate. Okay. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to figure so that out. I, it might be. So I think I have not done these puzzles, but mm-hmm. and I had to ask a lot of basic questions about them. But I was just like, okay, I think it would be more fun to get a picture at the end. And he needs black and white pictures that are like something like what thirty. Pixels less than less than thirty, less than 30 yeah. pixels wide, but less than and thirty pixels tall. I'm like, where can you get that? And I went to like old computer icons. So I found mm, I, I found an, I, I found an archive of Windows three point one <laughs> one bit icons <laughs> that someone had collected onto a floppy disk of you know like three thousand icons or something. And so I I uh, I got this collection. And I had to. Th- I threw a lot of them away that, that actually were like eight bit and colored stuff. And so I got all the black and white ones, uh, and many of them were um, really clearly icons, like the Microsoft Word lo- <laughs> lo- W, you know, things like that. But but some of them were like bespoke custom icons that people had made of like dice rolling or a telephone or things like that. So I went through them and I, I picked what I thought were maybe the the best fifty and like made sure they were the right size and I sent them to Gary the other day and we're I think we're going to see if if we can turn old icons into nonogram yeah. puzzles yeah the, the, the <laughs> results have been mixed so yeah. far but I am learning a lot about what type of pictures make good nonograms and which ones don't and and some and a lot of them make impossible ones in other words the, the math of the way the puzzle works out means there's no unique solution which means either the computer Try to solve them like I'm doing now, or a human tries to solve them, and you end up in an infinite loop, <laughs> right. which means you they're unsolvable. So anyway, geeky, fun stuff um, on my end. That's what I've been working on. Sure. 
Uh, I've been working for the last 10 months on a project which is coming to an end. It's not quite done yet, but I've been working um, uh, hard on it. Um, called the, uh, the Ted Nelson Junk Mail Cartons Project. So between 1965 and 1995, a man named Ted Nelson uh, collected catalogs, flyers, and junk mail advertising a lot of technical products. Uh, uh, everything from, from computers to optical equipment to uh, uh, military uh, space related space related stuff, uh, software, uh, uh, tools, um, uh, dictating machines, uh, film and audio equipment. And you know, basically he would go to trade shows and he'd walk up and down the aisle and just take one of everything and he saved it all. He put it in bankers' boxes, put it in a storage shed, and let it sit for years and years and years. What and a geek! What a nerd! <laughs> well, the guy invented the word hypertext, so you know he's he, okay. He's, he's a cool geek. <laughs> he's a then. cool geek. So, um, for the I I have been project managing this this project for the last almost year to take all this stuff and scan it, and in the last. Nine or ten months, we've scanned sixty-five thousand pages uh, and created metadata describing them and uploaded it to the Internet Archive. And right now, I'd say about eighty-five to ninety percent of the material is there. I still I'm finishing up the project. I still have to finish processing uh, the last couple of boxes. Um, but yeah, you can go to the Internet Archive and you can see this amazing collection of weird ephemera, uh, technology ephemera. So does it have its own like l specific link within the Internet Archive? Yes. Okay, yeah. so we'll make sure to put notes. that in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Looking at it now, I mean, I'm fascinated not just by the products, but the graphic design. I the mean, graphic design of the stuff from the yeah, 60s and 70s. Well, but it, so it's, it's, some of it by today's standards is horrible. Mm -hmm. Some of it by today's standards holds up, and it's all very interesting. Because some of it doesn't hold up, except it holds up from a retro standpoint. It looks like really, it's like somebody would create it now. It's like, oh, how cool and retro is that? Um, but it's really interesting to see it from. Just, I mean, you could, I could see like a museum, uh, you know, exhibition of this from a from a, uh, a standpoint of just the graphic design, the fonts, the layouts of all these things. So I'm interested in the the technical details of this. I mean, sure. this is a lot of data. Yes. That was, I mean, you, you scanned all this stuff at 600 DPI, mm -hmm. so very high quality. Yep. Uh, how did you get it from your house or wherever it was you did this to the Internet Archive, which is in San Francisco? So I, I hired uh, scanner people, uh, um, men and women in my physical area, and I, mm -hmm. I used uh, Nextdoor uh, app to, to find them, which is a, an app for for communicating with people in your neighborhood. And it's a lot of less like, you know, did you see this skeevy man walking on, you know, Main Street? You know, <laughs> I lost my dog. I, I, lost, dog. My, I lost yeah. my dog, you know, yeah. car break-ins and stuff like that. And I was just like, I, I've hired people that way because uh, I wanted them physically close to me because I have all this, this material in, in my basement. So um, I hired people. I bought um, uh, three scanners. Uh, I basically... Did research and, and testing and found the fastest consumer flatbed scanner 
that I could, mm -hmm. uh, which is the CanoScan 9000F Mark II. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, which is, I, 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 don't quote me, but it's only like $300 or, or something. Uh, bought a bunch, a stack of uh, Seagate 2 gigabyte external USB 3 hard drives. Gigabyte or terabyte? Terabyte, thank, thank you. you. Megabyte, kilobyte. Um, <laughs> uh, 20 megs, Retro man. stuff. Yeah. Um, retro disks for retro and, stuff. And ba so basically, my, my local scanner person you know, was, is lent a scanner, they get a hard drive, and they get a stack of papers. And every Friday or whatever, they bring me the papers that they scanned and the hard drive, and they get a fresh hard drive. And so I have this constant influx of, of material. Uh, it comes to uh, my Mac. I plug it in. I look at First of all, I, I run it through uh, a Mac program called Graphic Converter to uh, de-skew the scans. Mm -hmm. Uh, make sure they're scanned straight, and sometimes actually it, it does a great job of skewing the scans terribly. But, <laughs> but most of the time, it, it does a nice job of of, uh, of straightening the scans. I look at them all, make sure they're rotated the right way, and you no know, pages are missing. Blah blah blah. Uh, then I upload them to a staging server uh, at the Internet Archive. Um, they're huge files, but I have a uh, gigabit internet connection, oh, so wow. it's really not too bad. For the record. I hate you. <laughs> I knew that. It's so, it's so nice. It's so oh, sure. Rub it in. I, Rub it in. I get 15 megs down and four up, and I'm lucky to have it. That's, that's why my audio is not always great when we're, when we're remote. Is it a gig down and a gig up? Yeah, so do yes. I. I don't know what you're... Yeah, yeah, that's your problem. Maybe we should do the podcast without them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> High-def audio. I, yeah, I, exactly. I was thinking... <laughs> I was thinking you were shipping these terabyte hard drives to San Francisco or something. No, I, just, but... I just upload stuff and I come back half an hour later and it's done. <laughs> um, so it goes to San Francisco. Can we and, have him killed? <laughs> and then... Uh, then it goes into someone else's hands, uh, who guy who manually looks at them all, uh, creates metadata, puts them into, into packages. Like, oh, here, this is clearly a 20-page catalog. So it makes make sure those are in one item on the sure. archive. You know, he does a little light metadata. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, the Apple Collection catalog, 1983, you know, and whatever. And, uh, and then it gets pushed up to the Internet Archive. So very cool, but it's been a lot of stuff and taken a long, long time. So, well, um, there's so many items that are good, but one of my favorites. I'm just going to pick one that that I, I I like, which I something I've never not not heard of before. Uh, it was actually um, a, a press kit that came with a 45 uh, size uh, record album, which I digitized. <laughs> uh, I actually had had the equipment for that. And uh, you have a 45 RPM record player. I have a I have a Record player that with the USB out for yeah um, these things <laughs> and uh, it's a demonstration of compressed and expanded speech mm. using something called the Eltro Information Rate Changer Mark II uh, from 1966 and this is something that's totally standard now and what your phone can can do it but basically it. It was a, a, a very large, a very expensive machine where you could give it analog recorded speech and it would speed it up. So you could learn things mm. faster or listen to a speech or whatever. So it's a demonstration of... Which of, any podcast player has now. Uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, any $1.99 podcast player has that now. Uh, but then, you know, it was a, like a $50,000 machine. Um, 
And uh, it is probably most well-known as uh, at the end of uh, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, when, when Hal is dying. Uh, is that uh, what they use? That's what they use. Day, oh, day, that's awesome. Day, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's it's fun uh, to to hear. It, it sounds remarkably good and remarkably like your your sped up podcast. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Except uh, a lot. Except it uses used very cutting edge technology yeah. at the time. Yeah. But that's, that's that's out of the ordinary. Mostly it's uh, it's catalogs and and flyers and, and things. So a lot of fun. Really interesting. Well, okay, so that was my thing. What about you guys? You, I, I I can't beat that. <laughs> yeah, I can't even get close to that. Hard to beat. Um, I will just say that on the way down here, well, a couple of a um, couple of weeks ago, Bill Gates made this comment that if he could only recommend one book to a person, it would be this book by Steven Pinker, "Enlightenment Now: The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress." And uh, I, th- I may have actually mentioned this you mentioned last, it last week. week, yeah. And I continue to read it. I continue to be um, just absolutely fascinated by it. It's it's it's. <sighs> It's not dense. It's not easy. It's somewhere in between. Uh, it's actually really, really interesting, and continues to uh, support, uh, you know, my theory that yeah, the world really is getting better. Uh, all all other evidence to the contrary. So that was a, a, a really interesting read. The other thing that I've been reading is uh, Tools of the Titan by Tim Tools of the Titans by Tim Ferriss, where he's taken a number of the interviews he's done on his podcasts and then condensed it down into a book with some of the notes and meat from those podcasts. So, uh, you know, I had a three and a half, four hour flight to come down here. That was an opportunity for me to spend some more time buried in a book rather than... I actually didn't use the in-flight Wi-Fi for a change. And I think the only person that noticed was my wife, because normally I would continue to chat with her while I was in the air. (laughs) Randy? Well, um, I have uh, been on the road to uh, meet some extra geeky friends and get some eyeball time and and higher bandwidth discussions. Who are these people? Why haven't you told us about them? Yeah, well, I'd have to kill you if, uh, if I told you who they were, but um, it's really neat to sit in the same room with you guys and... You know, just geek out and talk about neat things. And this is just a small sample of what we've been talking about since we got together. Yep, yep. Definitely, hopefully, I'm, I'm praying, I'm crossing my fingers that at least one of these recordings is going to hold. Because this has actually been a pretty good session. And I love the, the energy here, obviously, when you're in the same room is a lot different. Yep. And, and it's very cool. Cool. Well, we'll have to see if it works now. Yes, exactly. Microphones, if we actually got. So, <laughs> if you didn't hear this, <laughs> yes. it didn't work, right? Yep. <laughs> but if well, you did hear it. You've been listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh15. You can sign up on the website for email updates that will let you know when there's a new episode posted, or. Just subscribe in your podcast app, and if you don't have one, look in their iTunes Store or Google Play for just you know just, one of the many just many get ones. Overcast on your iPhone, it's great. It's worth there the money. Go. It's great. It's really We're great. also on Twitter at the Teh Podcast and at Facebook.com at Facebook slash the Teh Podcast. Nobody uses Facebook anymore. I know, <laughs> so you're going to have to find us on Twitter. Twenty-four percent. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again here next Tuesday. Okay, so we're all going to turn these recorders off, right? I want.